All right, so before we jump into the passage this morning, we're going to start the way we always start. We're going to start with our young ones. I'm going to let you know what the passage is going to be about, what the sermon is going to be about. Okay, so question for y'all, young ones, kids, favorite Christmas movie? (laughs) Of course, okay. I heard Home Alone. Awesome. Yes, Home Alone. Okay, let's think about Home Alone for just like a a second. Uh, Y'all remember at the end, if you've seen Home Alone, at the end... Uh, they've left their little son behind. This family's left their son behind all Christmas. They come back, they find him okay. And they're like, oh my gosh, well, we got to go to the store and we got to get all that. And and Kevin's like, oh, I went to the store. And the dad laughs and he's like, funny guy, what else did you do while we were gone? And Kevin smiles and he says, oh, just hung around. And then everybody laughs. (laughs) And then that's the end of the movie. Like, that's, crazy. He never tells them how he saved their home from two robbers, from the wet bandits, like in the greatest of trickery ever. Like he pulled this thing off and he doesn't tell them that actually his life was saved. The bandits did get him at the end and his life was saved at the last second by his next door neighbor. He doesn't tell them any of this. And then it happens again. There's a home alone too. And it happens again. And then at the very end, they get him again. And his life is saved right at the end by a sweet, kind, older woman. Like, kids, can you, like, put yourself in your, like, imagine you're Kevin. Can you, do you think, like, maybe later you're in your 30s, 40s, maybe you've got kids and you're sitting around with the grandparents. You're like, y'all, okay, I got to tell you, uh, way back in the day, remember the two times you left me for Christmas? Well, I had this lifelong feud with, like, the wet bandits, a.k.a. the sticky bandits, like, it's crazy. Oh, and my life was saved twice. Like, right? It's crazy. He doesn't tell anybody. But that's kind of like us in the gospel. As it, kids, what is the gospel? Anybody? Kids, young ones, what's the gospel? Give me anything. The gospel is in the Bible. Yes, we learn, very good. We learn the gospel from the Bible. And what does the Bible tell us the gospel is? What's, who's it about? Jesus. And what did Jesus do? He died on the cross for who? For us. For for sinners. And what does that do? Because he died on the cross for us, so what? So what for you? What does that mean for you? You get to go to heaven. You get to live forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Like, y'all, the gospel is so much. Home alone is made up. And the gospel is crazier than home alone and it's true. Now, let me ask you this. I mean, this thing of God coming down from heaven, becoming a man, living for us and dying for us, beating, not just saving our homes, saving our lives forever, beating sin, beating death, beating the worst bandit ever, the devil. Like, that's what Jesus did for us, and now we get to live forever and ever and ever. And it's all because of Jesus. Who is the, kids, who is the gospel for? Like, who is the gospel for? Like, who needs to hear this? Very good, us. We're going to come back to us. Who else is the gospel for? Sinners. It's for every, everybody out there in the world. They need to hear the gospel if they're going to live. Like, the Home Alone story, can't believe Kevin doesn't tell his parents what happened to his home. Y'all, it's the same thing for us. Like, we've got to tell people 
about Jesus and what he's done for us so that they'll know, so that they'll know salvation, so that they'll live forever. Now, come back to this. Someone else said the gospel is for us. That is, you need to know and believe the gospel every day because young ones, kids, there are going to be some days that you think you're just the worst. I'm just the worst. I can't do anything right. My family probably doesn't love me. God probably doesn't love me. And you need to hear the gospel. And some of us are going to have those seasons in our life where we think, well, I'm just the best. Everybody loves me because I'm the best. And you need to hear the gospel because you cannot save yourself. We here need to hear the gospel every day, every Sunday, and believe that Jesus has done it all for me. And you need Jesus every day of your life. Uh, And that's what we're going to be talking about today. As we jump into our new series, Romans. We're in our new series in the book of Romans. uh, And we're going to start just at the very, very beginning. Romans chapter 1. Paul writes this letter to the church in Rome at the end of his third missionary journey. And here we are right at the beginning. Please stand for the word of God. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you, always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Right here at the beginning, Paul does not wait to get into the big stuff in Romans. It's not like chapter 4 and you get into the heavy stuff because everyone thinks of Romans as like this big heavy letter. You jump into the deep end of Romans in verse 1 of Romans. But one thing that Paul says here at the beginning that that seems innocuous is actually one of his biggest claims. Verse 14, he says, I am under obligation. I am obligated. I am indebted. 
both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. And it, it'd be, it would be easy to, to read over that without much attention if Paul had said, I'm indebted to the Jews to preach the gospel to them. And he actually does say that later in Romans. And, and because Paul is a Jew, it, it does make some sense that he feels indebted to preach the gospel to his own people who have the same background, they have the same hardships, they've got the same language, they've got the same assum- basic assumptions about life. But Paul doesn't start Romans like that. He says that he's indebted to Greeks and to barbarians. You may feel indebted uh, to a friend who loaned you five bucks for the valet. You, you may feel indebted to your parents or a teacher or a mentor or doctor. You may feel indebted to someone who's assisted you in life. And you, you may feel indebted to someone that you've hurt or you've wronged in life to assist them in order to make amends. I mean, that's Paul for sure. Paul is indebted to the first Christians who were Jews because Paul, before he became a Christian, as a Pharisee, he persecuted and he murdered them. But at the beginning of Romans, Paul says he feels indebted to people who live 2,000 miles away, who he's never met, who, who he's never done good or bad to, he's never received anything from them, a people who could not be more unlike himself. And it's because there is another kind of indebtedness. It's, it's when someone gives you something to give to someone else. And as long as, as long as you hold on to that thing that you've been entrusted to give to another, you're still indebted. And when Paul is converted to the Christian faith... Jesus, who has risen from the dead, he appears to Paul and he makes Paul an apostle. And he says this to him. He says, I'm sending you, Paul, to the Gentiles to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Jesus gives Paul the gospel to give to others and he is indebted to them until he does. Now, Here's a so what, like, so what for us. Listen, Jesus made Paul an apostle, extraordinarily gifted him uh, uh, to, to speak and write the word of God and demonstrate that authority with miracles. Okay, we are not apostles. None of us here, nobody living today, none of us are apostles. So it's really not enough to just say, well, since Paul is indebted to share the gospel, I guess so are all of us. You can't just do one-to-one, what would Jesus do, what would Paul do? It doesn't always work like that. But, but, we are indebted to. We are indebted to all manner of people, family, friends, strangers, enemies, to share the gospel with them. I mean, there are other parts of the Bible that make this clear, and Paul will say this explicitly later in uh, Romans, that the church and its people are indebted with the gospel to share it, but, or and, our indebtedness is spelled out here at the beginning of Romans 2. It's here. Our indebtedness to share that gospel, it's here. Because usually, Paul writes to churches he started, that's usually like 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Thessalonians. All the, it, like he's writing to churches that he planted, that he started. But Paul did not start the church in Rome. 
And he's writing to Rome, he's writing to this church in Rome because he plans on visiting the Romans because no other apostle has visited the church in Rome yet. Did you catch that? Which means the church in Rome was not started by an apostle. It wasn't started, and it wasn't started by any of Paul's converts because he doesn't address them at any point in the letter. So, who started the church in Rome? Well, years and years and years before this, earlier, there was an annual, Jew, annual Jewish feast called Pentecost, uh, which is a one-day celebration, 50 days after Passover, and, and millions and millions of Jews come to, like three million Jews come to Jerusalem to celebrate this feast. Uh, and at this particular Pentecost, 50 days after the death and resurrection of Jesus, the Holy Spirit descends on the apostles in the middle of this feast. And they start miraculously preaching the gospel in all of these foreign languages that all of these foreign Jews who have come to Jerusalem, start, they start hearing the gospel in their own language. And, and thousands and thousands of these Jews come to faith and put their faith in Jesus. The church in Rome was started by Jews who heard the gospel at Pentecost and brought it back to Rome. And now Rome is one of the largest, Rome's got one of the largest churches at this time, at which means they got, the, the, the early converts there, the Christians there got that they had to share the good news without being told to go share the good news. They couldn't not share it. Which means every believer is indebted to Jesus with the gospel to give to others. Something like this. Let's go even further, 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 farther, farther, farther back. Hundreds and hundreds of years before this, uh, in the Old Testament, in 2 Kings chapter 7, the kingdom of Israel has been split into two kingdoms. And the northern kingdom uh, has its capital in Samaria, and Samaria is under siege. This is a crazy story. Well, the, the Syrian army has completely surrounded the city of Samaria and cut off God's people from their crops and from, and from getting away. And, and so the Israelites are hiding behind their walls in the city of Samaria. And, and all they can do is they start going through their own food stores. Uh, this is the point of a siege. And month after month, the food uh, stores are, are depleted more and more, and the people start getting more and more desperate. They get so desperate, they start eating unclean animals. Like the, the, the people are tra trading away, pre it says it's, they're trading away precious fairly heirlooms. They're spending a fortune to buy donkeys' heads to eat. And the siege goes on and on, and the people are starving now, and they get so desperate that two women resort to cannibalism. They make this awful contract with each other to one day eat one of their kids, and the next day to eat the other one of their kids. But at the city gates... At the entrance, there were four Israelites who were lepers. And so they, they, they weren't allowed to be around the people. They, were, they really weren't welcome in the city. And they had been kind of coming and going and hiding out about the entrance, the, the city gate entrance of Samaria. They get to the point of desperation, and they say, this is just, let's, let's just surrender to Syria. Maybe they'll put us out of our misery, but maybe, you know what, maybe they'll have pity on us. Let's just go. And so they go to the Syrian camp, and they find it deserted. Not, not, not like 
oh, the Syrians, they've packed up and they've left. We were okay. No, like the Syrian camp, it's still there with all their stuff, but no Syrians. What the lepers did not know is that the night before, God had caused the Syrian army to hear, to hear the sound of chariots in a massive army charging down on them. And in terror, the Syrians run away. Like they just run for the hills, just run away. And and they run in utter panic and they keep running and they never come back. And they leave everything behind. They leave their weapons, they leave their tents, they leave their beds, they leave their horses and their work animals. And the lepers show up at the camp and they're yelling like, we we surrender, don't shoot, don't shoot, we surrender. And they walk into the camp with their hands up and they're looking around, they don't see anything and they poke their heads inside one of the tents. They're like, hello? And they see all this food and they see gold and they see clothing and the four lepers, they feast and they drink and they bury chests of gold and clothing. And then... They go into the next tent and they feast and they drink and they grab all this gold and all this clothing and they go and they bury it. And then it hits them. And they said to one, this, and it, and they said to one another, we are not doing right. This day is a day of good news. Like our fellow Israelites are starving back in the city, resorting to unconscionable acts. They're perishing We've got to share the good news with them that they might live. And, and they go, and the good news is so good that, that the people won't believe it at first. Loved ones, this is today. This is a day of good news. And people are perishing without it. Our indebtedness to Jesus with the gospel, it is fueled by love for Jesus' grace. For Jesus' grace to you because you actually deserve the opposite of anything good from Jesus. We are the unrighteous. We deserve judgment, not grace. And, and it's an in, it, our indebtedness with the gospel, it's an indebtedness that is fueled by love for others who are perishing without Jesus. And it's fueled by grace because you, me, we are no more deserving of this salvation than those out there who are perishing without it. We are indebted to those who have not heard the gospel, and we, we, we're all guilty of this. We make way too many assumptions that people have heard it when they haven't. Whether we assume they've heard it somewhere else, or we assume that they, they heard it from us when we tried to share it with them. And the so what for us here is do not ignore, do not neglect, do not deny your debt. Embrace it with love and grace. And I know, I know the, I, I know it's scary. As in like, okay, wait, I don't know what to say. And I'm not an evangelist. And, I, and I've tried it before and it was a disaster. And we'll just say this, it is embarrassing and shameful to talk about absolute exclusive truth in a postmodern world of pluralism and relativism uh, that, that, that not only the world out there, the postmodern world, it's not just that they don't believe in truth, it's a world that is offended by absolute truth. Because what, what the world would say is we don't have truth today, we have taste. And what is the taste of today? 
Yes, that is true today. And here's an encouragement. There's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new under the sun. And Paul lived in a postmodern world like ours. It sounds, it sounds anachronistic. It's not. This is why Paul says he's not ashamed of the gospel. And, and there's no point in saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, if you don't feel the temptation to be ashamed of the gospel. Paul knew that temptation to be ashamed of the gospel because usually when Paul preached the gospel, he got ridiculed, he got beaten, and he got run out of town, or he got thrown in jail. Because the gospel sounded as shameful, if not more, then as it does now. Because the gospel is, just think about this, you know, that home, back to that home alone kind of thought, that the gospel is a claim about a Jewish man born in Podunk, Nazareth. Oh yeah, but who was also from heaven. Who was both man and he's God. And he lived a perfect, righteous life. But he died a shameful and cursed death on a Roman cross. But he didn't do it for himself. He died for people he called sinners. And that's us. And that's everybody else. Like, we're sinners. We're the unrighteous. And, and Jesus says that we deserve the wrath of God. And by the way, saying that to a bunch of Greeks, oh yeah, and there's just one God? Oh yeah, and there's just one God. And somehow, Jesus is that one God and he's the Son of God. Okay, and he took on flesh to live the way that we're supposed to live, and he died the curse of death that we deserve to die, and he did it to make us righteous so that we can live forever with Jesus, who's no longer dead. He's been resurrected, and he's gone back to heaven, and the only thing that we can do to be saved from eternal condemnation, the only thing we can do is to believe in this good news about Jesus. That's all anybody can do. That's, the gospel has always sounded shameful. Even in its simplest terms, Jesus, the Son of God, died for sinners. And here's the good news about the good news. For us who are indebted to share this good news, you are not the power of God unto salvation for anyone who believes. The gospel is the power of God into salvation for anyone who believes. And the gospel is the only power to save any kind and every kind of person, not you. That's good news about the good news. Like, you don't have to save anybody. You can't save anybody. You've got to point others away from you and point them to Jesus. And loved ones, that's enough. That's enough for every kind of person and every kind of people. You know, Paul, says, this is the, Paul says that he's indebted to Greeks and barbarians. You know who the Greeks are? The Greeks are the learned. They're the learned of the Greco-Roman world. They're, they're the aristocrats. They're the sophisticates. They're the, the gospel, and Paul says the gospel is powerful enough to save the wealthiest the most educated, the most cynic of cynics. Yeah, the gospel is that powerful. And the barbarians. And the barbarians are the barbarians. I mean, that's, I mean, I mean have y'all ever wondered, 
Have y'all ever wondered, like, where am I? Where am I in the Bible? Like, where's my lineage? Like, if you don't have Greek Mediterranean blood uh, in your family tree, or you don't have Jewish blood in your family tree, or Egyptian blood, or Persian blood, you know, this could be you. You could be a barbarian. It's me. I'm barbarian. That could be you. We, we're barbarians. Uh, it is, let's say this for, you know, those that are, are here, uh, it is our church's family tree. Uh, it is our church's tradition. I was, just remind, I was just reminded of this. We trace the roots of our tradition, we trace it back to the Scottish folk, okay? Back to the Scots. But if you keep going back in that family tree, you get to the barbarian picts, P-I-C-T-S. And the picts were big, big enemies and big, big trouble for the Romans. The, the first time the Romans fought the picts, they were, t- these are Romans, the best soldiers there are, the Romans were terrified. Because when Rome first encountered uh, the picts on the battlefield, the picts showed up, they're all tattooed, they're covered in blue paint, with their hair, their hair is styled sticking straight up with lye, and they're naked. That's who we come from. I mean, that's whose shoulders we stand on to faithfully understand the gospel because somewhere along the line, the gospel came to the polytheistic pick barbarians and it was the power of salvation for them like it was for the Romans before them, like it was for the Greeks before them, like Babylonians before them, like Philistines before them, like the Egyptians before them. Paul is indebted to everyone because the gospel is the power of salvation for every kind of person and for every kind of people. But we're not just indebted with the gospel for unbelievers. We are indebted to share the gospel with believers too. I mean, Paul is writing to the church and he's explaining his indebtedness to preach the gospel to them in order to strengthen their faith, because the gospel is the power of salvation for us from beginning to end. That's how this passage ends, verse 17. We have been saved from faith for faith. The righteous shall live by faith. It is all of faith. You begin the Christian life by faith, and you have to continue to live the Christian life by faith. And and how do we strengthen each other's faith here? We do it with the gospel. Christians are indebted to one another to share the love and the grace of the gospel because it is the only power of salvation from beginning to end. Let me put it this way. True faith, like if we're going to, let's talk about faith, faith. True faith, it is faith in Christ. There is no other faith. As in faith, quote unquote, faith in anything else, whether it's faith in mankind, humanism, or nihilism, or atheism, or Gnosticism, or Taoism, or Hinduism, or Confucianism, Buddhism, Islam, all those religions, every religion, they're either explicitly faith in oneself, or they're seemingly faith in another god, or faith in another power. All of it boils down to, all of it boils down to reliance on yourself. Because all these other religions... All these other supposed gods and powers tell you to ultimately look to yourself to save yourself. Which means none of that is really faith. It's on you. 
It's what you do. It's how good you are. The gospel and the gospel alone offers faith in something totally outside of yourself, outside of your own works, outside of your own goodness, faith in the one true Savior, in the promise of grace in Jesus Christ. Your only two choices, the only two choices people have ever had in the history of mankind is works or faith in Jesus. Faith in a Savior. This Savior, this this Savior to come from heaven. There are only two religions in the world. It's your works or it's faith in Christ. So, today, tomorrow, the next day, loved ones, let us not be ashamed of the gospel for the sake of those who need it. For you are in their debt. For the gospel is the power of God for salvation to anyone who would believe and to everyone who does believe. Let's pray. And I would ask you to pray with me the prayer that our Lord taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.